Hello, it is Kathleen Jasper with Conversation Ed, and today I am talking to science teacher extraordinaire Glenn Upton, and we are discussing Rosalind Franklin, a scientist back, way, way back in the day, who helped us discover the DNA molecule and whose work is largely ignored. Can you believe that? A woman in science whose work is largely ignored? Anyway, we're going to get into the nitty gritty about this wonderful woman and what she did for us and how our understanding of genetics was made possible by her amazing work. Enjoy. I'm Glenn Upton. I teach seventh grade science and I've been teaching seventh grade science for the last 15 years. One of my favorite topics in science in seventh grade is genetics, which leads me to this conversation with Kathleen about uh, a woman named Rosalind Franklin, who was pivotal, instrumental in coming up with the actual structure of the DNA molecule, otherwise known as the double helix. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the double helix. So we know that the double helix is looks like a twisted ladder. Correct. And we know that because of a lot of the work that Rosalind Franklin did. And how did we get to there? How did we get that? Well, we had a lot of um, Chargas who came, who was doing work with the chemistry of the base pairs. And we knew that base pairs were absolutely known by everybody that because of Chargas's ratio, where you always had the same amount of guanine and cytosine and the same amount of adenine with thymine. So they knew that there was something with that. They knew about uh, the sugar bonds and they knew about the phosphate bonds, but they just didn't know how everything fit together. And Rosalind, through her work with X-ray crystal diffraction, took some pictures, detailed pictures, that showed the structure, not the actual physical structure, but indicated aspects of the structure. She had also been doing work through her x-ray crystallography. She had, she knew that there was a DNA A and a DNA B. And in fact, it was a draft that turned out to be published in the same nature journal as the first article written by Watson and Crick, which indicated that the structure of DNA was a double helix molecule and how it was put together. So as her piece was put third in that same nature journal, it more or less looked like her work was the supporting evidence for their work. When in fact, her work was the the beginning, the 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 basis. The basis for them to go, oh my, this is what it is. And they were uh, known for their intuition, and literally they guessed, and they went to work, and whenever they would have a problem, they would go to Maurice Wilkins, more on him later, and then he would explain to them what Rosalind's information was saying, because they were not chemists. She was a physical chemist. They were a physicist and a biologist. All right, so let's talk about the main players in this in this story, because the story is really cool. It, com- it plays out almost like science reality TV back in the day. So let's talk about the main players. This was a race. Um, We knew that there was a structure of genetic 
information that that was that was in our cells, our uh, in our bodies, but we didn't know exactly how it all fit. And so there was a race to figure out how all these things, the adenine, the thymine, the guanine, and the cytosine, and the phosphates, how they all fit together to make this molecule. So this race was probably one of the most important races that we've had. We had the race to the moon, the arms race, the space race. We had the race to sequence the DNA. But I think this race was probably one of the most important. So let's talk about the main players in the race. We've got Rosalind Franklin. Who is she? Uh, give me a general overview. She was a very bright young lady. Uh, remember, she was born in... Oh, God. Uh, oh, she was born in 1920. And we have to also put in perspective, you know, the role of women in science back in that time period. Uh, her father, her family was wealthy and influential. She at 15 decided she wanted to be a scientist. Her father was not in favor. He wanted her to become a social worker. But eventually, thank goodness, he relented and she went off to college and she got a PhD in physical chemistry. She worked in a variety of labs, but then she ended up spending three years in a lab in Paris, which is where she learned and perfected X-ray diffraction techniques. And then she returned to England to King's College, which, of course, is where Watson and Crick ended up and Maurice Wilkins ended up. This is where the whole all the players come together in the same spot. All right. Awesome. So Rosalind gets a Ph.D., in a time when women were not getting PhDs in, in science or PhDs at all, for that matter. And so she's a real trailblazer in terms of um, being one of the firsts. And you have to remember that back then at King's College, women were not allowed in the university dining rooms. And the men, after work, where they could go and exchange ideas, such as Maurice Wilkins, Watson, and Crick, would go to the men-only pups. And so there was no place for Rosalind to go if she was even going to be included in the conversation. She couldn't be included in the conversation over when most people talk about ideas over dinner or over a pint. Exactly. All right, so let's talk about Watson and Crick. Who are these guys? Uh, uh, let's see. James Watson and Francis Crick. Brilliant, brilliant young men. Um, Watson went over to England and met... Uh, Francis Crick. They were actually very compatible. They were very good at working together. They had like different differences, but they they did really get along quite well. And they were they followed different paths. And I'm not going to get into that at this point because this is really more about Rosalind. But um, they Watson went over to study uh, a hemoglobin molecule, a hemoglobin molecule in in blood, and because he he is the biologist, Crick was the physicist. And then they also met this guy named Maurice Wilkins. And Maurice Wilkins was also working on DNA structure. And he had been out of town. And when he came back, Rosalind Franklin was working there on this project, this DNA project. This other guy had given it to her, a guy named Randall. And Maurice Wilkins mistakenly did not realize that Rosalind was actually his peer. He kind of put her in the role of a research assistant. So I don't think he ever felt that they were on level footing which is why he probably had no problem sharing her information because he felt that she was his, his assistant, assistant versus his peer. 
Right. So Watson and Crick, uh, Crick was the physicist. Watson is the biologist. They they come together. They merge, you know, um, their understandings of science together. They do some great things. They're also working on the the structure of the DNA molecule, how it all fit, fits. Maurice Wilkins is there as well, and he is kind of working side by side with Rosalind uh, Franklin, and she is giving him. You know, she's talking to him about all her ideas and what she's finding in these particular photos and things that she's she's discovering. And so <laughs> Wilkins gets to go to the all men dining hall and the all men pubs. And so he's sharing Rosalind's ideas in the pub with all the guys and Rosalind's at home. And she is completely unaware that this is going She's on. She's out of the loop. She does not know what is being shared of her work with Watson and Crick. And let's talk a little bit quickly about the work. So we always think of scientists as being these very, you know, high moral people. You know, you see somebody in a lab coat, you just kind of think, well, that person is at a high standing. But really, these these scientists, they were cutthroat. They wanted their work out there. They, they It was a race. It was a competition. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, there are lots of stories um, about famous competitions between scientists that would, you know, they would manipulate data, they would sabotage information from other people because it is, with a scientist, you want to be known for your work. You want to be revered. You want to be respected for this great discovery. What is science but not to know, to be able to be on this search to figure things out. And what better thing as a scientist to be the one who was given the credit for finding out the answer to something in nature or the world. Such as genetics, the double genetics. helix. I mean, huge. go back to... Uh, Gregor Mendel, look at all the work that he did with his pea plants. I mean, he may not have known how famous he was going to become, but he was certainly dedicated to it. And so you do want to be the one, and you need to have a way to explain and prove and support what you have come up with. And some scientists have never known how famous and how great their discoveries were because they have died before the extra proof came in to show that, yeah, actually you were right. Right. So Rosalind is working just as hard, if not harder, and they're in the pubs and they're kind of taking her ideas and they don't even really see her as an equal, even though she is. They see no problem in taking her ideas because they think she's simply a, a lab assistant a, a, the, the, and not on the same level as these guys are. And so... Um, yeah, they kind of stole her stuff. And and I think that's what why I like speaking of Rosalind Franklin is because we were talking in the textbook, it's going to be all about Watson and Crick. I mean, Watson, you know, built he he wrote the bestseller, The Double Helix. Uh, and there's very there's like I don't think Rosalind even barely gets a mention and and she deserves more than a mention. And unfortunately, she died of ovarian cancer. Possibly there was cancer in her family, but also the exposure to all these x-rays certainly didn't, you know, help her situation. And she worked almost right up until the time that she died, very young age of 37. And uh, the Nobel Prize is never given posthumously. So it was Watson Crick and Maurice Wilkins who won the Nobel Prize a few years after she, her death. 
Okay, so let's just break that down for a second. So, I, I, you know, I taught science, you teach science, we use a textbook, and there's a big write-up on Watson and Crick, and usually over in the margin, and with a small little picture and about four or five lines underneath it, you see Rosalind Franklin. And she, we could argue, died of ovarian cancer because of the work she did to further our understanding of the DNA molecule because she was taking these x-ray pictures of her, and I don't know how she did it, crystallized forms, and which showed the double helix. So she was being exposed to the x-rays, which could have contributed to her cancer. So in a sense, she died for the discovery of this thing, yet she was left out of the Nobel Prize, and she's left out of the textbook almost totally. And that's why we're doing this podcast today, is to give her credit um, in this Genetics One course that we're doing, because without Rosalind, they would have been putting that thing together all, all crazy. They might have been stumbling through the forest for quite a while before it was ever <laughs> discovered. Absolutely. So Rosalind is uh, she was she was a pioneer. All right. So let's talk about how we we got to the structure of the DNA in terms of her uh, contributions and Watson and Crick's intuition. So um, Watson and Crick had had intuition. They they kind of had they were they were very smart, so they could guess about the actual structure of the DNA molecule. So more, more creative. I think they were also, you know, considered to be very, very creative thinkers. And, and that was one thing about Rosalind. Rosalind was very going to, you know, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. Before she published anything, she was going to be absolutely certain that whatever she was going to put out there was going to be accurate and well-documented and supported. Okay. So, um, so we've got, we know, you know, we know that the, that there are equal amounts of G's and T's and C's and, well, G's and C's and A's and T's. And so we know that because there are equal amounts, um, they must be pairing at some point. So there was that, that, uh, that hypothesis, right? Yes. Um, but we just didn't know, and, and, and we just didn't know how it all came together. And so the race between all these people, or among all these people, was to figure out how it got put together. So Watson and Crick had an intuition. And what was that intuition? Well, after they saw, when Maurice Wilkins showed them the famous photograph 51, which showed this X in the middle, they just they just put it together. And they said, it's like a twisted ladder. Now, as I said, they, they knew that. They could figure that out from the picture. But then they had to go, and they only work with models, then they had to go back, which is why they had the problems. Like, okay, it's a twisted ladder. We know that these pairs go together. But then how does the rest of the structure, the ladder part, you know, the, the base pairs are the rungs. Mm -hmm. the, the other is the outside, which is like twisted. And and we know photo 51 is the one that you'll see in your, in in your, your textbook. textbook. And that's Rosalind Franklin's picture. And it's Rosalind Franklin's picture of the, the X-ray crystallized things that she used and where she probably got some of the radiation that contributed to her cancer. And that photo 51 is where you see the X, which helped Watson and Crick understand that the, the base pairs in the middle of the ladder, the twisted ladder, um, are, you know, twisted into a double helix type shape. But we know that the DNA structure is not just the nitrogen bases on the inside of the ladder. The outside of the ladder um, is made up of the phosphate groups, but they didn't know that. They're, they knew there was phosphate. 
They but just they're didn't like, know where how the f- they put it together. Yeah. And Rosalind, because she's a chemist, she knew where they had to go. And Maurice Wilkins also shared that with Watson and Crick. So why don't you put it on the outside? That's what Rosalind says. And so she really gave them the pieces. Now, not to take away from them, they're obviously brilliant, creative thinkers. We're not going to say that, I mean, they deserve the credit for absolutely coming up with the model. Of course they do. But she put the things together. They're the ones that went like, aha, Eureka, this is what it is. And um, her you know, her meticulous attention to detail, crossing her T's, dotting her I's the way that you said, was a perfect kind of pairing to their creative renegade kind of thinking because you need both. You need you need the creative crazy people in there taking the risks, but you also need the person who is going to make sure that everything is in line and and, and that everything is is right. Otherwise you're just making assumptions. But it, it, you know, when they figured it out that the double helix, we have to always appreciate what what that really, how that helped people understand. Okay, this is how the DNA can be duplicated. Now it can unzip, and I can make identical copies because I have both sides, and I can match them up. Well, that other came, you know, later. The absolute, you know, the actual mechanics of it, but that really could show them. Okay. It unzips, and I can make an exact copy because they knew that was happening. Because they knew cell theory. They knew that all cells come from pre-existing cells. And well, you can't have the same cells without the same DNA going into all the cells. So this led to how, how absolutely it could get duplicated and be present in each subsequent cell in mitosis. And I think it's really important that we say too that they didn't have the high powered microscopes that we have today to be able to see structures. No. They were going I mean it's it's almost like a map map maker way back in the day. They made these perfectly uh representative maps of the world without ever getting in an airplane, without ever looking at anything. And these scientists essentially did the same thing with the DNA molecule without having the high powered microscope, without having all the tools that we have today. That's crazy. Computers. <laughs> yeah. Computer generated <laughs> models and things like that. They were able to put a model together physically, physically based on assumptions because of something they saw in Rosalind's photograph to, to, I mean, it's crazy that they were able to do that. And then later when we did get the high powered uh, microscope, we could say, Hey, they were totally right. The it's phosphates exactly are on the outside. what it is. Exactly. And the inside has two base pairs and there's an equal amount. And it's crazy how they figured that out. It always astounds me. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's one of the biggest discoveries of life, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder if, if, you know, we had those high powered microscopes that, that we do now with genetic testing. I mean, you could even look at Rosalind's DNA and figure out on which sequence that cancer was, if it was hereditary or if it in fact came from the radiation, you know, I mean, it's... Well, look at Madame Curie. I mean, she, you know, she got her Nobel Prize. I mean, right. She, she lived to, to receive her Nobel Prize. Right. But ultimately, working with radioactive materials and she died of cancer. Yeah, yeah. So we really owe a lot to these these people, and especially the women in science back in the day who were up against. I mean, I'm sure there was more than just not being allowed in the pubs. I'm sure there was a lot of uh, walls put in front of Rosalind at that time. Probably a lot of sexism, and and uh, a lot of people think not taking her serious. And she still pushed on and was able to give us one of the best gifts science has ever given 
people. And I love teaching genetics. I know you love teaching genetics. So we love Rosalind Franklin. Just we for- love Rosalind Franklin. We need to have Rosalind Franklin Day. <laughs> exactly. All right, Glenn, thank you so much for thank talking you. to me about this. And we will see you soon. Okay. That concludes our talk about Rosalind Franklin and her contribution to our understanding of genetics specifically the double helix and the DNA molecule. If you like what we're doing here and you want to learn more about courses by Conversation Ed, please go to conversationed.com slash courses and sign up to get more information using your email address. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Pinterest, and tell all your friends and share this podcast with everyone you know. Have a great day.